Section 10 of Grey's Anatomy Part 5 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie Anatomy of the Human Body Part 5 by Henry Grey The Mouse Part 3 Development of the Teeth In describing the development of the teeth, the mode of formation of the deciduous teeth must first be considered and then that of the permanent series. Development of the deciduous teeth The development of the deciduous teeth begins about the sixth week of fetal life as a thickening of the epithelium along the line of the future jaw, the thickening being due to a rapid multiplication of the more deeply situated epithelial cells. As the cells multiply, they extend into the subjacent mesoderm and thus form a richer strand of cells embedded in mesoderm. About the seventh week, a longitudinal splitting or cleavage of this strand of cells takes place, and it becomes divided into two strands. The separation begins in front and extends laterally, a process occupying four or five weeks. Of the two strands thus formed, the labial forms the labiodental lamina, while the other, the lingual, is the ridge of cells in connection with which the teeth, both deciduous and permanent, are developed. Hence it is known as the dental lamina, or common dental germ. It forms a flat band of cells, which grows into the substance of the embryonic jaw, at first horizontally inward and then as the teeth develop vertically, i.e. upward in the upper jaw and downward in the lower jaw, while still maintaining a horizontal direction it has two edges, an attached edge, continuous with the epithelium lining the mouth, and a free edge, projecting inward and embedded in the mesodermal tissue of the embryonic jaw, along its line of attachment to the buccal epithelium is a shallow groove, the dental furrow. About the ninth week the dental lamina begins to develop enlargements along its free border. These are ten in number in each jaw, and each corresponds with the future deciduous tooth. They consist of masses of epithelial cells, and the cells of the deeper part, that is, the part farthest from the margin of the jaw, increase rapidly and spread out in all directions. Each mass thus comes to assume a club shape connected with the general epithelial lining of the mouth by a narrow neck, embraced by mesoderm. They are now known as special dental germs. After a time the lower expanded portion inclines outward, so as to form an angle with the superficial constricted portion, which is sometimes known as the neck of the special dental germ. About the tenth week the mesodermal tissue beneath the special dental germs becomes differentiated into papillae. These grow upward and come in contact with the epithelial cells of the special dental germs, which become folded over them like a hood or cap. There is then at this stage a papilla or papillae, which has already begun to assume somewhat the shape of the crown of the future tooth, and from which the dentin and pulp of the tooth are formed, surmounted by a dome or cap of epithelial cells, from which the animal is derived. In the meantime, while these changes have been going on, the dental lamina has been extending backward behind the special dental germ corresponding with the second deciduous molar tooth, and at about the seventeenth week it presents an enlargement, the special dental germ for the first permanent molar, soon followed by the formation of a pillar in the mesodermal tissue for the same tooth. This is followed about the six months of the birth by further extension backward of the dental lamina with the formation of another enlargement in its corresponding papilla for the second molar. And finally the process is repeated for a third time, its papilla appearing about the fifth year of life. After the formation of the special dental germs, 
dental lamina undergoes atrophic changes and becomes cribriform except on the lingual and lateral aspects of each of the special dental germs after the formation of the special dental germs the dental lamina undergoes atrophic changes and becomes cribriform except on the lingual and lateral aspects of each of the special germs of the temporary teeth where it undergoes a local thickening forming the special dental germ of each of the successional permanent teeth the ten anterior ones in each jaw here the same process goes on as has been described in connection with those of the deciduous teeth that is they recede into the substance of the gum behind the germs of the deciduous teeth as they recede they become club-shaped form expansions at the distal extremities and finally meet papillae which have been formed in the mesoderm just in the same manner as was the case in the deciduous teeth the apex of each papilla indents the dental germ which encloses it and forming a cap for it becomes converted into enamel while the papilla forms the dentin and pulp of the permanent tooth the special dental germs consist at first of rounded or polyhedral epithelial cells after the formation of the papillae these cells undergo a differentiation into three layers those which are in immediate contact with the papilla become elongated and form a layer of well-marked columnar epithelium coating the papilla they are the cells which form the animal fibers and are therefore termed animal cells or adamantoblasts the cells of the outer layer of the special dental germs which are in contact with the inner surface of the dental sac presently to be described are much shorter cubical in form and are named the external animal epithelium all the intermediate round cells of the dental germ between these two layers undergo a peculiar change they become stellate in shape and develop processes which unite to form a network into which fluid is secreted this has the appearance of a jelly and to it the name animal pulp is given this transformed special dental germ is now known under the name of animal organ while these changes are going on a sac is formed around each animal organ from the surrounding mesodermal tissue this is known as the dental sac is a vascular membrane of connective tissue it grows up from below and thus encloses the whole tooth germ as it grows it causes the neck of the animal organ to atrophy and disappear so that all communication between the animal organ and the superficial epithelium is cut off at this stage there are vascular papillae surmounted by caps of epithelial cells the whole being surrounded by membranous sacs formation of animal the animal is formed exclusively from the animal cells or adamantoplasts of the special dental germs either by direct calcification of the columnar cells which become elongated into hexagonal rods of the animal or as is more generally believed as a secretion from the adamantoplasts within which calcareous matter is subsequently deposited the process begins at the apex of each cusp at the ends of the animal cells in contact with the dental papilla here a fine globular deposit takes place being apparently shed from the end of the adamantoplasts it is known by the name of animal droplet and resembles keratin in its resistance to the action of mineral acids this droplet then becomes fibrous and calcifies and forms the first layer of the animal a second droplet now appears and calcifies and so on successive droplets of keratin-like material are shed from the adamantoplasts and form successive layers of animal the adamantoplasts gradually receding as each layer is produced until at the termination of the process they have almost disappeared the intermediate cells of the animal pulp atrophy and disappear so that the newly formed calcified material and the external animal epithelium come into a position this latter layer however soon disappears on the emergence of the tooth beyond the gum after its disappearance the crown of the tooth is still covered by a distinct membrane which persists for some time 
This is known as the cuticular dentis, anesmus membrane, and is believed to be the last formed layer of animal derived from the adamantoblasts, which has not yet become calcified. It forms a horny layer, which may be separated from the subjacent calcified mass by the action of strong acids. It is marked by the hexagonal impressions of the animal prisms, and when stained by nitrate of silver, shows the characteristic appearance of epithelium. Formation of dentin While these changes are taking place in the epithelium to form the animal, contemporary changes occurring in the differentiated mesoderm of the dental papillae result in the formation of the dentin. As before stated, the first germs of the dentin are the papillae, corresponding in number to the teeth, formed from the soft mesodermal tissue, which bounds the depressions containing the special animal germs. The papillae grow upward into the animal germs and become covered by them, both being enclosed in a vascular connective tissue, the dental sac, in the matter above described. Each papilla then constitutes the formative pulp, from which the dentin and permanent pulp are developed. It consists of rounded cells and is very vascular, and soon begins to assume the shape of a future tooth. The next step is the appearance of the odontoblasts, which have a relation to the development of the teeth similar to that of the osteoblasts to the formation of the bone. They are formed from the cells of the periphery of the papilla, that is to say, from the cells in immediate contact with the adamantoblasts of the special dental germ. These cells become elongated, one end of the elongated cell resting against the epithelium of the special dental germs, the other being tapered and often branched. By the direct transformation of the peripheral ends of these cells, or by a secretion from them, a layer of unclassified matrix prodentin is formed which caps the cusp, or cusps, if there are more than one, of the papillae. This matrix becomes fibrillated, and in it islets of calcification make their appearance, and coalescing gives rise to a continuous layer of calcified material which covers each cusp and constitutes the first layer of dentin. The odontoblasts, having thus formed the first layer, retire toward the center of the papilla, and as they do so, produce successive layers of dentin from the peripheral extremities. That is to say, they form the dental matrix in which calcification subsequently takes place. As the thus recede from the periphery of the papilla, they leave behind them filamentous processes of cell protoplasm, provided with finer side processes. These are surrounded by calcified material, and thus form the dental caniculi, and by their side branches and anastomosing caniculi, the processes of protoplasm contained within them constitute the dental fibers, tomes fibers, in this way, the entire thickness of the dentin is developed, each caniculus being completed throughout its whole length by a single odontoblast. The central part of the papilla does not undergo calcification, but persists as the pulp of the tooth. In this process of formation of dentin, it has been shown that an uncalcified matrix is first developed, and that in this matrix islets of calcifications appear, which subsequently blend together to form a cap to each cusp. In like manner, successive layers are produced which ultimately become blended with each other. In certain places this blending is not complete. Portions of matrix remain uncalcified between the successive layers. This gives rise to little spaces, which are the interglobular spaces alluded to above. Formation of the cement The root of the tooth begins to be formed shortly before the crown emerges through the gum, but is not completed until some time afterward. It is produced by a downgrowth of the epithelium of the dental germ, which extends almost as far as the situation of the apex of the future root, and determines the form of this portion of the tooth. This fold of epithelium is known as the epithelial sheath, and on its papillary surface odontoblasts appear, 
which in turn form dentin, so that the dentin formation is identical in the crown and root of the tooth. After the dentin of the root has been developed, the vascular tissues of the dental sac begin to break through the epithelial sheath and spread over the surface of the root as a layer of bone-forming material. In this, osteoblasts make their appearance, and the process of ossification goes on in identically the same manner as in the ordinary intramembranous ossification of bone. In this way, the cement is formed. It consists of ordinary bone containing canicule and lacunae. Formation of the alveoli about the fourteenth week of embryonic life the dental lamina becomes enclosed in a stronger groove of mesodermal tissue which is at first common to all the dental germs but subsequently becomes divided by bony sept into loculi each loculus containing a special dental germ of a deciduous tooth and its corresponding permanent tooth after birth each cavity becomes subdivided so as to form separate loculi the future alveoli for the deciduous tooth and its corresponding permanent tooth Although at one time the whole of the growing tooth is contained in the cavity of the alveolus, the latter never completely encloses it, since there is always an aperture over the top of the crown, filled by soft tissue, by which the dental sac is connected with the surface of the gum, and which the permanent teeth is called the gubernaculum dentis. Development of the permanent teeth The permanent teeth, as regards their development, may be divided into two sets. First, those which replace the deciduous teeth, and which, like them, are ten in number in each jaw. These are the successional permanent teeth. And second, those which have no deciduous predecessors, but are superadded distal to the temporary dental series. These are three in number on either side of each jaw, and are termed superadded permanent teeth. They are the three molars of the permanent set, the molars of the deciduous set being replaced by the premolars of the permanent set. The development of the successional permanent teeth the ten anterior ones in either jaw has already been indicated. During their development, the permanent teeth enclosed in their sacs come to be placed on the lingual side of the deciduous teeth and more distant from the margin of the future gum, and, as already stated, are separated from them by bony partitions. As the crown of the permanent tooth grows, absorption of these bony partitions and of the root of the deciduous tooth takes place through an agency of osteoclasts, which appear at this time and finally nothing but the crown of the deciduous tooth remains. This is shed or removed, and the permanent tooth takes its place. The superadded permanent teeth are developed in the manner already described, by extensions backward of the posterior part of the dental lamina in each jaw. Eruption of the teeth When the calcification of the different tissues of each tooth is sufficiently advanced to enable it to bear the pressure to which it will be afterwards subjected, eruption takes place the tooth making its way through the gum. The gum is absorbed by the pressure of the crown of the tooth against it, which is itself pressed up by the increasing size of the root. At the same time the septa between the dental sacs ossify and constitute the alveoli. These firmly embrace the necks of the teeth and afford them a solid basis of support. The eruption of the deciduous teeth commences about the seventh month after birth and is completed about the end of the second year, the teeth of the lower jaw preceding those of the upper. The following, according to C.S. Tomes, are the most usual times of eruption. Lower central incisors, 6 to 9 months. Upper incisors, 8 to 10 months. Lower lateral incisors and first molars, 15 to 21 months. Canines, 16 to 20 months. Second molars, 20 to 24 months. There are, however, considerable variations in these times, thus according to Holt. At the age of one year, a child should have six teeth. At the age of two and a half years, 
a child should have twelve teeth. At the age of two years, a child should have sixteen teeth. At the age of two and a half years, a child should have twenty teeth. Calcification of the permanent teeth proceeds in the following order in the lower jaw. In the upper jaw, it takes place a little later. The first molar, soon after birth. The central and lateral incisors and the canine, about six months after birth. The premolars at the second year, or a little later. The second molar, about the end of the second year. The third molar, about the twelfth year. The eruption of the permanent teeth takes place in the following periods, the teeth of the lower jaw preceding those of the upper with short intervals. First molars, sixth year. Two central incisors, seventh year. Two lateral incisors, eighth year. First premolars, ninth year. Second premolars, tenth year. Canines, eleventh to twelfth year. Second molars, twelfth to thirteenth year. Third molars, seventeenth to twenty-fifth year. Toward the sixth year, before the shedding of the deciduous teeth begins, there are twenty-four teeth in each jaw, the ten deciduous teeth and the crowns of all permanent teeth, except the third molars. End of section 10. Recording by Ellie, February 2010.